The HERE podcast is all about reclaiming your power and reconnecting with your mind and body. By releasing our stories and the power they have had over our lives and creating a compassionate and supportive community, we can bring love, understanding, awareness, and healing to ourselves and to all who need it most. Join me in saying, enough is enough. I own my power. I am ready for the next chapter of my life, and it will be the most amazing one yet. This episode deals with serious and often distressing incidents. Our guest talks about her experiences of abuse, so depending on where you're at in your journey, this may be an episode you want to skip. Jordan, thank you so very much for being on the show tonight. I am very excited. You connected to me uh, via Facebook and you were so willing and so brave to share your story. And I've been looking forward to talking with you. And so thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I have so been looking forward to this too. I can't believe I'm your first guest and I am beyond excited. I know. I'm so excited. My friend, you're all willing to be like to deal with that. Oh, this is how we record and this because everything is so new. So it's really awesome. I love it. Right. So to me, so. I was, I'm sorry. I was mentioning that right now, this time is yours. And you were saying, yeah, you want to share. You want to share what happened. You want it. All I want to put out there is this is yours. So you can share as much or as little is in detail or is not that you would like, because this is your platform. And just by sharing your story, you're going to help so many other people. And I know you know that being someone Mm -hmm. who has survived or experienced, um, and, and have, have grown from that and me being someone as well, wishing that I had somebody telling their stories so that I could feel not alone. So this is very, very great. Um, I would love to start I w- wherever you would like to start. So if you want to start um, at the beginning, um, I'm going to let you take the floor and then we'll just have a conversation. And if at any time you're like, you know what, I don't want to discuss that anymore. Just let me know, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Sound good? Yeah, totally. I'm ready. All right. Wonderful, Jordan. You are ready. All right. The floor is yours. I would love to hear what you have to share. Okay. Um, So just a little backstory so you can get get an idea. Um, My mom was a single mom. Started from the time that I was about four months old. Um, And my dad wasn't really in the picture. He was about, I think he was 17 when I was born. My mom was 19 and uh, he kind of was a little more into the teenage life. And my mom basically dropped whatever she had going on and took mom's motherhood very seriously. So um, fast forward, I'm six years old and my mom ends up meeting my sister's dad or her ex-husband now. um, And they end up getting married. Not long after that, I want to say it was about less than a year they knew each other. Um, I loved him. He was phenomenal. I thought he was a really good dad. He was really involved and he always made me feel better when my dad wasn't in the picture or it seemed like he didn't. 
A couple times in the episode, we had a little bit of an issue with Wi-Fi and the call. So it disconnects a couple times, so you might notice a little gap in the conversation, but we do pick up where it left off. She got married, and this guy was a really good guy. He was a good, he was a really good dad, dad figure to me. Um, and I don't know, I just felt very comfortable. Nothing wrong. Never saw anything wrong with it. Um, so fast forward again, another three years, my sister is born. I'm nine years old. And it's almost like there was a shift in our relationship. Um, my sister kind of seemed to take precedence. And now that I'm older, I kind of get it because that's his biological baby and I'm just his stepbaby or was his stepbaby. Um, so it, it was kind of weird trying to play it out. And at that time, I kind of started figuring out too that he had some issues that I didn't really know about. Um, he worked third shift, so he would sleep during the day, was awake at night. But when he was at home, he would go through these crazy spending phases. He had a good, good enough paycheck to where he could buy pretty much whatever he wanted and be comfortable. Um, but he would go through spending sprees and then all of a sudden he would hit crazy lows where he would just play computer games. He wouldn't talk to anyone. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't do anything beyond play computer games for hours and hours and hours. So it was kind of hard to tell where he was at. Um, and then as I grew up, you know, kind of came to terms with it, but I was mostly a mommy's girl, so it never really phased me too much. Um, so fast forward again, I'm 14 and we had just taken a car trip together. My, my stepdad, I guess, I don't know what to call him now. It's weird. Um, and my sister and I, and on the way back, he, he had mentioned, you know, if you have any questions about anything at all, please, please don't be afraid to come to me. That's what I'm here for. And it was kind of a moment where we kind of reconnected and I felt really comfortable and safe with him. And so I want to say this was probably a month or so after this road trip. I was watching my sister and she like four or something at that time. She ends up, she gets really caught up in whatever show she was watching and he calls me back to my room. And so I go back there and he starts talking to me about how I'm insecure in school, which I was. I was very uncomfortable with my body, which I think most 14-year-olds are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was trying to make me feel a little more comfortable with how I looked because he said I was a pretty girl. Um, at that point, I noticed a camera. So slowly but surely, he's taking pictures, but as he's taking pictures, he starts asking me to take off articles of clothing. And truthfully, I was a very naive 14-year-old. I will absolutely admit that. And I think some people think I played dumb when I explain this story or try to talk to people about this story. And even myself, I tend to feel a little dumb. But I was just a very naive person and very trusting. You know so, what? Not to interrupt you. You're but fine. I I call massive bullshit on that. Not you, but other people saying that because you are 14 
and you <laughs> have this father figure who you trust. And I think it's really easy for other people to say, well, why didn't you say anything? And why didn't you do this? Because yeah. I was a kid and I didn't know what the heck was going on. So exactly. of course we were naive. We were teenage girls and we, so I, I apologize. I just, no. I totally, I don't call bullshit on what you're saying. I hope that didn't come across that way, but other people no. saying you should have responded this way. Oh, really? Well, because I, I didn't know, like, how would you know how to respond to that situation? So, I mean, truthfully, I didn't even know what it was until someone yeah. explained it to me. And, and so here's the crazy thing. So after, after everything happens, I'm actually, I went to a friend of mine because they thought they knew something was wrong. They could see my face and they directed me to my school counselor who then directed me to a child advocacy center who then told me what happened because no one was able to explain what that was because I didn't know what that was, but I don't think they knew how to communicate that with me because I, I was barely able to just get past the details. So right. it was, it was a really weird, it was a weird experience, but sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Not at all. <laughs> so we're in my room and he's taking pictures and eventually um I'm down to my underwear and like I when I was younger when I'd met him I was very comfortable as a kid like naked I just wear underwear around the house all the time I was able to sit on his lap I felt fine I never felt weird and at this point in time at 14 I even felt I felt comfortable still so we're on my bed and we're talking and we, because of this car trip we had, so because of the car trip that we took together, I had a question about my female parts. And my mom at the time was working a lot of hours. So when he wasn't working, she was. And it just so happened he was the one at home. And I just decided to ask a question. I could tell he was uncomfortable. But I still was curious. You know, I didn't have an answer. Um, so he tried his best to feel outside of my underwear. And it was unsuccessful because I couldn't pinpoint what he was talking about. So he ended up reaching inside my underwear to um, basically try to get an understanding of what I was asking him. But as this process was happening, he did not stop touching me. And he kept asking me if certain areas felt good. And I said, no, it doesn't. I said, that's not what I was talking to you about, though. And I moved his hand. I said, this was what I was talking about. And he was like, wait, let's go back to where I was just at. That didn't feel good to you? That's weird. Why doesn't that feel good to you? I was like, I don't, I don't know. It didn't. But that's not what I was talking to you about. Um. And he's up. I'm trying to not be too specific here. <laughs> um, Whatever, yeah. Whatever so, you want to tell your story. He he basically makes his way down to the opening of my vagina, basically, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Does that feel good?" And I said, "No, this doesn't feel good at all. This is not what I what I was talking to you about. I don't understand what you're doing." 
And he kept trying to get me or to answer me, not answer me, answer him about whether it felt good or not. And truth be told, I really do think that he may at that point have inserted his finger had my sister not called down the hallway and was looking for me. So the moment she said my name, he immediately stopped, stood up and walked out of the room. He didn't say anything. He just left. And in that moment, when things were happening, I didn't really, like I said, it was, it was naivety. I didn't really understand what was happening. And after the fact, I just, I felt dirty. Something felt wrong. And the next thing I did, I took a shower. I took a really long shower (laughs) and I just cried. I didn't understand why I was crying either, but it felt wrong. I felt violated, but I didn't, again, didn't know why. Um, My mom came home from work and she could see something was wrong with me, but I couldn't bring myself to tell her. And so I went to school the next day and everyone else could tell something was wrong with me. I've never been good at hiding my emotions. (laughs) And I told my boyfriend at the time and he didn't even know what to say to me and he basically just walked away, (laughs) which, you know, made it worse. Um, Yeah. I ended up telling one of my friends in class because she badgered me until I I basically broke. And this is only like, what, the third class of the day. So not even three to lunch. And she ended up telling me that something similar had happened to her and she was going to force me to go talk to the counselor. And so she did. She made me walk down there. <laughs> she told the teacher, she has an emergency. I need to walk her down. So she walked me to the counselor and I re- told the counselor everything. And yeah, I think he tried to ask me if it was sexual assault. And I said, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, this is, these are the details I have. This is what it was. That's it. Um, And then he called a child at Poughkeepsie Center, who then came to pick me up. And I spent better half of the day there, the other third of my day there, retelling my story, explaining what happened. And I actually am forgetting pieces, even he, you know, I know when I told the, retold it to people, there were pieces that I forgot and then I added in at the same time. So, like, just now. Um, I just remembered that he, while he was taking pictures, a lot of the pictures were very like erotica style. So yeah. Um, And then from the advocacy center, I went to the police station and I had to tell the police what had happened. Wow. They called my mom. Um, They told her that she needed to get her husband and come down to the police station as soon as possible. Um, and they didn't give her any details. But she asked him. She was like, what is going on? You know, you need to tell me why is she at the police station? And he told her all of it in the car on the way there. Oh. Oh, and wow. he was arrested on the spot. So he didn't even walk into the police station. <laughs> he was not allowed to come into the police station. 
uh, he was arrested at the doors and he was taken in a different direction. So I, the last time I saw him was him being arrested at those doors. Wow. And so literally from that point on, it just was a crazy whirlwind of stuff. Um, My mom was a mess. Yeah. It was hard to watch her go through this whole situation because as the parent of a child who has been assaulted like that, it just, it tore her apart. She, she fell into a really deep depression and she basically just existed for a long time. And I think you had said that. (laughs) Your mom went into a very deep depression and did that, how did that make you feel? Did that have any effect on you that your mom, you had gone through this abuse, but (laughs) now your mom was in a very deep depression and sad about it. What was, how was that for you? It was very, it was very difficult. But by the end of that day, I think I had decided I was just going to be numb. Yeah. Not knowing that that's what it was, but I decided I wasn't going to be sad anymore. I didn't want to cry about it. I wanted to be able to tell people without being upset. So I hardened myself. It's beautiful. Okay. So I think, um, uh, go ahead. I think where we left off was we were talking about your mom's reaction and you just decided, you know what, I'm going to shut down. I don't want to be sad about this. Yeah, exactly. Sorry about the non, not such clarity before. Um, no. <laughs> um, but yes, so the whole situation, it basically brought my mom crumbling and I kind of felt like I needed to step up. I think my sister was, she was four or five at the time. I'm trying to remember the age, um, but this was like the day before her birthday. <laughs> so oh my gosh crazy traumatic um my I don't know my mom was would basically work and come home and cry and sleep she she did enough to try to take care of us she did her best and I definitely applaud her for that like at the time I definitely resented her for not being stronger and not stepping up I guess you could say and I guess being the parent that I thought I was being to her Um, but now looking back on it, I can only imagine, (laughs) but at that time I was at a new high school and I actually, I skipped school a lot, a lot. And I came to find out shortly after that, that, um, I had depression. I was, I was diagnosed with it, um, because I was avoiding school, Uh, When I would get classwork, if I looked at the book that I needed to work on or any of the worksheets that I had, and I laid them out in front of me to see what I needed to do, I would basically freak out and just spiral and start crying from feeling so overwhelmed. I just, I couldn't handle looking at even three or four pieces of paper. It was so much. I couldn't really read anything without having to basically read the same thing over and over it was it was like I guess all your classic signs of depression from what I was told um and so it just it was hard because 
I was definitely taken care of first. My mom, as much as she had a hard time with things, she she prioritized first, us first. We were always number one, no matter what. And so, and it's even to this day. <laughs> um, That's awesome. She's She is a wonderful parent. She has been behind me forever. It's never, never, ever backed away from anything. Like if it, we were always the thing that mattered most. And actually when, uh, when I was pregnant with my second baby, um, she quit her job so she could come be there. So she could see my, my daughter be born. So she, amazing. she wouldn't miss any of that for the world. That's absolutely where she stands for both of us. But I guess what you could say after, after the whole situation, um, actually, no, my mom actually kept in contact with her. She actually wasn't divorced at that time either. She kept in contact with her husband at the time. And this was kind of while we were transitioning to a friend's house that he worked with. It was actually some, um, a coworker of his, they allowed us to stay in their basement. Um, and between the transition from our old house to that house, um, my mom knew what was going on with him and he would reach out to her from time to time. And he had gotten an apartment right across the street from a hospital. And I think probably a month or so after the whole thing, um, she got a call from the hospital because she was his emergency contact saying that he had tried to OD on some meds and had left a note in his car, but he parked the car in the parking lot of the hospital. So it was, it was a really weird, <laughs> really weird situation. Yeah. Um, and when my mom went to go see him, she would ask him if he would remember these things. Um, and at first he didn't really. And as he did, he started taking electroshock therapy while he was at the hospital after he kind of recovered from ODing. Mm-hmm. And um, so she would try to ask him like, hey, do you remember what happened? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And one of the times that she went there to go see him and see if he was remembering anything, um, he, she had told, or he said, did, did Jordan know what happened? did she understand the situation? And my mom said, no, she didn't really, she didn't really get what had happened at all. And he laughed in her face and he was like, there's no way she didn't understand. She's playing you. (laughs) And that was the point where my mom was like, and we're done. The nice card is totally being shut off. It's done. She lost. She was so mad. And I was too. It was crazy. And the whole situation just, it blew up. I I feel like I'm really not explaining this well. I'm trying. I'm no, sorry. You're, you are, no, no, no. You're doing a beautiful job. You're explaining okay. everything wonderfully. Yeah. Well, and during this whole process too, my dad came out of the woodworks way more than what he ever did when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. I would visit him every other week. So, but a lot of times he was working and I spent the time with my grandmother. So I just, I didn't really see him very much and he didn't really have a parental role in my life he was my dad and I loved him but he wasn't a father figure you know what I mean yeah so as soon as this happened all of a sudden he tried to step in and be a father figure and I was not 
I was not enthused. <laughs> um, so he's he kept trying to tell my mom what to do. He kept trying to he was I didn't even know this either. Um, because I had what are they called? Why can I not think about? I can't think of the name. You had it's someone that has to work with you. Like when you're when you're younger, it's part of the court system, I believe. Oh. Why can I not think of them? It's like it's an actual group that works with kids that or younger people that have been abused or neglected or things along those lines. I cannot think of what their names oh. are. Oh, and it's not like I think you had mentioned earlier, like a child advocate, but that's not what it is. Something no, else? it's 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 something a little bit different than that. I, oh my gosh, okay. why can't I cannot think of what they are? It's not a child advocate. It's something similar to that, but it's usually in court cases, like okay. in, in a situation okay. such as this. So basically, their their job is to look out for the best benefit of the child and place them where they believe they they should be going. So if within okay. the court the child can't speak or can't talk about it or anything like that, they speak upon the behalf of this kid or this person. Um, and so the whole time my dad is kind of getting involved, he doesn't think my mom is uh, is a suitable parent. He doesn't think that she's doing a very good job putting me in the right direction, mostly because my mom and I have always been very similar, very mm-hmm. like-minded. So when she would say something, a lot of times I would agree. So he liked to call me her, her little mini me. And uh, he thought that I was a little too susceptible to whatever was going on with her. And at the time, we were actually, we were going to therapy. And I, I thought our relationship had actually improved a lot. And I thought I had improved a little bit more. You know, I was actually talking. And once I went to therapy, um, I found, I highly recommend therapy to anybody who has never gone. And, and my therapist, when I was a teenager, absolutely turned the tides for me. I will. I don't think I could ever thank this woman enough, but she That's was awesome. Perfect. It took like six tries. So don't be afraid to go try someone new. If they <laughs> not fit you, they don't fit you. Like my dad actually at the time, he tried taking me to one of the best therapists in the state for sexual abuse or sexual assault. I couldn't stand her. The only thing she did every single session was, how are you feeling today? And that was where she would start. And I realized I lied almost every single time I saw her. It's like, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to be here. <laughs> I don't need to talk to you. I'm cool. And my mom saw this and was like, this isn't right. She's not right. getting anywhere. Nothing's going anywhere. There's nothing being improved upon. So she found someone actually at the hospital that her ex-husband was getting treatment at. So she actually worked. I think her husband was the one that was actually doing the um, the shock therapy with them mm-hmm. at the hospital. Uh, and she was like, oh, so you're his his wife, right? And she was like, yeah. or my mom was like, yeah, that's, that's me. Um, it was my daughter in the situation. She was like, well, actually, I am, I specialize in child abuse and child, you know, sexual assault, rape, those kinds of things. And she was like, you know, uh, it's, it's not really a conflict of interest just because my husband has his own practice. I have my own practice. We don't talk to each other about each other's practices. We keep things separate. Um, so she was like, I would be more than happy to have her. 
Cause my oh. mom said just the energy that she had from her was, that was it. She just, something about her clicked. And so when I went to her, it changed everything. She was what did able- she do that was really because I had I remember my very first counselor I went to they just drilled me like if you don't tell your story children are being hurt because of you and I was like oh, oh shit gosh. this is the first time I've ever even told my story and so then I just like I just turned it on like I was like oh forget this I'm never talking again um and you had mentioned the first person how they were what was it about because I think it's important like if a therapist if therapists or people who want to be therapists listen to this like what was that magic that she had that helped you so for me she just she was very calm and at this time I had no clue that this was the type of person that I would become I very much am similar to her now so it's kind of funny um oh that's cool she's her practice actually her husband and her shared a building so half of the building was his it was like a little like not a trailer but like a a small home and the other half of the home was hers and when you walk in she has not buzz cut hair, but you could tell that she used clippers and she cut her own hair. So it's on like the lowest or the highest one that you could do with the longest point. But she still, she, she shaved her own head. She wore <laughs> like those really flowy white beach pants and like yeah. a comfortable flowy tank top. So you just, you got like a zen vibe from her. She was very much like not a hippie. You just, you just got a calm feeling from her. Very calm relaxing yeah i could picture her (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um she's very not soft-spoken but she didn't have a loud voice it was it was very neutral just calming you could smell incense and when you walked into her room it wasn't like a normal therapist's office there were it was eclectic there was different types of furniture everywhere there was like you could find a big comfortable squishy chair next to like not like a chaise but like one of those old school ones that's like velvety and it just it's very (laughs) eclectic she had whiteboards everywhere she had shelves and shelves of knickknacks just it was like figurines and like dolls and toys and things like that so everything about her space was just different and I have I think I immediately reacted to how different it was because I like that. I'm a very eclectic person. I always have been. So it just kind of enmeshed. But the big thing that she did that no one else ever did, she would take what I was saying and she would lay out ideas. She would say, okay, so from what I'm hearing, you have this angle you can take or you have this angle you can take here here's the pros and cons to this. Here's the pros and cons to this. What sounds right to you? Where do you want to go with this? What seems like the right way? But, and, and, you know, a lot of times, especially at first, I didn't really know. I think I wanted someone to tell me where I needed to be going and what I needed to be doing because I felt lost. I just, I didn't know (laughs) how to make decisions because it was debilitating. And so I think I just got used to not making decisions. I just kind of existed and tried to be better, but it was definitely on a day-to-day basis. It wasn't anything more than one day at a time. But when she made me choose, but she made me choose in a way that was my own. 
it, it, it allowed me to have some control over the situation. And actually I see that now too, with my own kids, it's, it's allowing them to have an independence while guiding them in a certain way. And she was so tactful about it. You didn't know that that was what was happening. That is so interesting. Do you have, because I'm so curious, because this sounds beautiful, um, an example, and it doesn't have to be a painful example, an example of what you're saying, how she offered you, or even what you do with your own kids as an example. I feel bad that I don't even remember what examples she had for me because she really was amazing. That's okay. (laughs) I know. So for my kids, it's, it's even as basic as what color shoes do you want to wear today? What shirt do you want? Do you want this one, this one, or this one? And a lot of times I'll give them three choices. So that way they actually get to pick the one that they like. Because I feel like when you have two, you know, it's still my idea. But I try to pick mm-hmm. three things that are a little bit different from each other. So they get to they get to choose. Or how much mac and cheese do you want tonight? Or can you help me put it in your bowl? Can you carry it to your table? Where do you want to sit tonight? Things like that. It doesn't have to okay. be huge, but it gives them a sense of independence. It's it's not someone telling them what to do, how to do it, where to do it. And as toddlers, it's that's all they want. They want independence. They want the ability to explore, to to really figure out where they belong, and they want to have a sense of purpose. And I think that that's kind of where it goes back to is like when you're, when trauma happens, I think you're kind of back in a state of childhood. You're lost and you're kind of searching. And when someone's giving you the option to choose, like you actually get to make the choice, but yes. it's, it's your own life. And I don't think I really got that until I got older, but it was, it was her helping me steer my life in a way that I wanted to go, but she was giving me different avenues I could take. She was clearing the fog in my brain. Jordan, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Because when you were, when that experience was happening to you, you didn't like he was steering the ship. Like that was, it was like, that was happening to you, but now you're taking back your power. You're like, you're, she's giving you the opportunity to take back control. That is, that is really beautifully put. Thank you. (laughs) And she really was, it was, I think it takes, a special person to be able to look at a situation and and help guide someone like that, especially younger people. I just, yeah, I, I don't that know. Has I have no idea in... what's going on, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like I have, I have immense respect for her. I really do. And at one point in time, I had actually wanted to be a therapist sheerly because of how much she had helped me. Wow. And I just, personally, I can't do it. <laughs> I can only handle so much and I don't know how she did it. And it was incredible to me, but she, I'm the same. I'm the same. I went growing up. I wanted to be a child psychologist so that I could help people heal before it caused too much pain. But hearing when I was young, like even just stories about things happening caused me so much pain that I couldn't, you know, it's, it's funny to look back on things, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, because after, after the situation, after, you know, experiencing such a difficult point in my life, I realized that I definitely was, I mean, this is probably cliche, but I have 
significantly stronger than what I thought I was. And I think people who experience traumas and things like that, just hardships in general, they find they can either sit there and they can wallow in it or they can rise above it and not let it control them. And I've hit so many points where I've realized that I'm letting my depression control me. I'm letting my anxiety control me. And it just, I get so tired of it. I'm, I, I am in control. I can mm-hmm. take that chaos. I can take that, that, that fog, I guess you could say, in my brain, that, that kind of insecurity and try to make it work for me instead of let it work against me. That's actually the premise of what I'm doing right now with my vlog is that I focus on not finding the calm within your chaos, but making your chaos work for you. Oh, I love that. I don't think that, thank you. (laughs) I don't think that chaos is meant to be squashed. I think it's kind of like when you repress like a trauma. Um, I think it's meant to be there. I think there's a reason why your brain functions the way it does. And especially after traumas, it's crazy because the science behind it shows that your neurotransmitters are completely changed. People with anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, Actually, this girl that I follow and that I actually worked with one time, um, Mm -hmm. her name is Nikki Lynette. She's really cool. Um, N-I-K-K-I Lynette? Yeah. Yeah. L-Y-N-E-T-T-E. She is perfect amazing um I, I won't share too much of her story on here um but she has ptsd mm-hmm. and she talks about how the she basically just talks about the science behind it because it's not just feelings and emotions it's how your brain actually functions on a day-to-day basis and it's crazy it's so cool but i don't think we give ourselves enough credit that when we when we allow our brains to kind of hit that rough spot to actually look at it from an outsider's perspective and be like okay well why is this happening and what can i do to make both sides of my brain happy you know cuz i don't think you need to completely negate the fact that there is not a sense of calm but you can acknowledge it in a way to where it's like, in uh, I think my last post, I said that we're your friends. You basically make a friendship with your chaos and you tell it, hey, we're going to work together today. We're going to make this happen and it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Yeah. Do you see it as though that chaos is there to tell you something, to push you forward in a way, to guide you in a way? I do, actually. I use it as my creative process. It is what allows me to come up with insane ideas and all of a sudden just have like bursts of genius <laughs> because I don't think, I don't think I would be able to do that without, even with the depression and anxiety that, that I deal with now, I just, I think that they are a blessing in disguise. I really do. And again, that probably sounds a little cliche just because the situation in itself was difficult, but it has genuinely, truly made me a better person. And I don't know. I just, 
I don't think I it sounds th- cliche at all. I honestly don't because I, I feel the same way. I have always had this really deep compassion towards other people. I remember mm-hmm. this is random and weird, but I'm going to share okay. it anyways. <laughs> I was little and I saw the movie. Okay. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's called the elephant man, old okay. school, black and white with Anthony Hopkins. But it's a true mm. story about John Merrick who he was very severely deformed, but he was very, very smart and how he was abused and blah, blah, blah. So not blah, blah, blah. That was a horrible thing. Like it, <laughs> it obviously moved me tremendously. I would be a yes. little girl and I would write him checks for millions of dollars for plastic Aww. surgery. And, but the, but the point was, is that I had experienced such intense pain that I never wanted anybody else to. And it's so like, honestly, today I would not want to take that back. I do not want to change anything in my past because Mm -hmm. it's who I am today and it drives everything I do. And without it, like, I I don't know. I just think it has, has made me a more compassionate and a better person. So I don't think you sound cliche at all. (laughs) You're so fine. (laughs) I am right there with you. That's exactly how I feel as well. Again, I was a very caring person too when I was younger. Um, I was actually raised around my grandma and she has MS and dementia. And so she's been handicapped for as long as I can remember. And when my cousins were outside playing, I was sitting next to her reading magazines and watching TV shows. And it just, I've I've always like when I went to the store, which tended to be like the thrift store, I would always end up picking gifts out for someone else. (laughs) I always had to get something for someone else. And I was always, willing to help and be there and uh I think it's kind of just expanded but I want to say the beauty amongst it is that for the longest time I think I was just I want to say a pushover (laughs) not the right word but I definitely was stepped on I was walked on a lot Mm -hmm. because I'm a very nice person and for a long time I didn't know how to say no you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I mean, it honestly, it led to, wow, even before I was assaulted, I had sexual harassment, I guess you could call it. Um, In like the fourth grade, this kid would stick his hand down my pants in the back while we were reading stories. And I would just sit there because I didn't know what to do. And he was yeah. like, you're not going to tell the teacher. She's not going to believe you. And I didn't because I, I I believed him. I thought he was right. I was like, mm-hmm. who's going to believe me? I'm quiet. Nobody, I don't speak up. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm the good kid. If I say somebody did something bad, they're going to get in trouble, you know? Yeah. And then even again, right before, actually, probably the year before I was, I was assaulted. Um, I went to a friend's house for a party. It was a birthday party. And my friend's stepsister invited her older brother over and he was not supposed to bring anybody but he did he brought his 19 year old friend i'm 13 my friend was 12 and her older sister was 15 Mm -hmm. everyone was within our age group at that party they were the only two at the party that were older and all the adults were out drinking having their own party fun whatever we were doing our own thing And nobody knew that these two boys were getting wasted. They were drunk, drunk. 
And so they were chasing all of us girls around the house. And a lot of the girls thought it was fun. I, however, was uncomfortable from the very beginning, but not wanting to stand out. I didn't really say that to anybody. Didn't really share it with anybody, but he scared me. And there was one other girl that was scared too. So I stood with her. Um, When it came time to kind of settle down and lay down, we started watching movies, whatever. I was in a sleeping bag. I didn't know he had walked into the room. I was by myself in this room and he got into the sleeping bag behind me. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was really scared and I just laid there and all of a sudden I felt his hand come up underneath my shirt and he, he reached for one of my breasts and I was up. I was gone. I was out. I went home. Luckily they were only like a couple houses away from mine. So I just left, but it's, it's crazy. And you didn't tell anybody, did you? No. (laughs) And I don't say that in a, like a lot of times people, so I would love to, I wouldn't have either. So I'm not saying anything, but I know a lot of people will say, oh, but why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you? It's just, I, I mean, it's really hard to explain. I don't know. How can we, what would, so for all the parents out there that have children, I always try to think of that with my own children. What could my parent have said or what could the environment, I don't know, been created where I would have felt comfortable to say, hey, this happened. That was BS. We need to go get him. I don't know. Like, I feel that way as a grown woman. Yeah, exactly. um, Not as a a young girl. I think it starts with being able to have an open conversation about not necessarily sex itself, but I think it comes down to being able to talk about uncomfortable situations. Because I think mm-hmm. today it's very common to find posts where moms are like, you know what, I'm having conversations at the age of five with my daughter about how to say no with my son on how to say no, you know, and it's, it seems like a super commonplace thing now. Yeah. And I, I guess it didn't seem that way before to me, but my my mom was never comfortable really talking about sex. It's, we still have a very general conversation when we do today even. Uh-huh. But she grew up in a very Christian home. So sex was not a very natural conversation. My grandparents never even really talked to her about it. And it just, I don't think that that was an open dialect. So for somebody who doesn't feel comfortable talking about their bodies and what other people have done to it, in, in an unwanted manner, it's almost blasphemy in a way. Like yeah. you're stepping out of your bounds. You're stepping against what you've been taught. So you let someone else do this to you. This is wrong. So I, I don't know. I think that that's kind of where. I, no, I think you hit that nail on the head. I'm, I mean, <laughs> at least I'm hoping you do because I'm on the same the same wavelength. Like uh, with my, I have three daughters, mm-hmm. and so I, um, from a very young age, they knew how to talk about all of their body parts. It wasn't my head, my shoulders, my knees, my toes, and my private or my who like you know what I mean. No. Like they they could speak I, about <laughs> all of their. Oh no, my, my kids do too. Oh, yeah. trust me, it's very open. Oh yeah, no, and I use correct yeah. terminology. And, and yep, at first, me too. 
I think it actually was really off-putting for a lot of my family at first because that wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. My my sister and I, it wasn't a thing when we were growing up at all. And so like for me to actually have my kids use the specific body part that they're talking about and actually know the terminology, I think my family was like, okay, (laughs) this is new, but all right. But I think well, if good. they are ashamed, if we're making them feel ashamed about t- talking about a body part, exactly. then they're going to feel shame if something happens to that body exactly. part. You know what? Exactly. I think when you start younger and you you allow them to know to actually have the knowledge of what is going on, I think it goes back to giving them some independence. I think when mm-hmm. they have the knowledge of who they are, it it makes a difference in the conversation. So like my kids are three and 20 months and my oldest is a boy. My youngest is a girl. So when we talk about the correct terminology, you know, my son will talk about his private parts and then she'll talk about hers. But there have been times where she's tried to touch his and he's like, no, sissy, that's mine. You don't touch that. Yeah. I was like, that's right. That's <laughs> no one, right. No, one, no one's allowed to touch it. Not unless you say so. No, no, no. And he's like, no, I don't like it. I was like, good. Then tell her that. Yeah. So if he does the same thing, I'm like, no, no, that's that's hers. That belongs to her. And yours oh, belongs to that. you. And so I try to I try to make them understand that that's theirs. That is for them to know that it's part of their body it's and they're ownership. in control and they're in control what happens exactly so I, I love that it's the line is kind of odd just because I don't want to push them too far yet you know because yeah. I can only imagine a three-year-old's brain trying to wrap around what it is I'm trying to explain to them if I push too far a certain boundary because then I think they're like oh, okay whatever (laughs) yeah I wonder I think though that it will level out I'm hoping because you know we're just trying to do our best because I know with my girls I have always told them since they were little um that well first of all kick scream uh kick scream bite fight 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 if someone's kick scream bite fight 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 that's it i don't give them parameters on when it's okay when it's not okay look if you don't like it you don't think it's right and i can tell you that i've not been called into the school because they're beating people up that does not happen so there you go that's one thing and another thing is you don't keep secrets from mommy and daddy period (sighs) and And I don't want to identify what the secret is. Well, if it's a Christmas present secret, because then they might start questioning in their head, well, is this a secret I keep or not? So no secrets. Mm -hmm. And literally just today, it was funny. My husband was teasing me and he said something under his breath to my little one, like as a joke. (laughs) And I'm like, what did he say? And he's like, well, don't tell her, you know, they were joking. And she goes, daddy, I can't keep secrets from mommy or you. And I'm like, yeah. It was like a silly secret, but you don't want to start giving like, well, you can question what secret you should keep and what you couldn't because predators or abusers or whoever's going to be that is going to take advantage of that. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. You can't keep anything from toddlers. My oldest is a tattletale. My sister will give him candy. And she'll be like, shh, don't tell your mom. I gave you just a little bit of candy. He's all, mom, I had a lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> that is okay. <laughs> She's yes. like, I told him, don't say anything. 
That's so funny. I know. I love it. I'm like, that's how it should be. Yes. Yeah. Good no, job, bud. Just... You did good today. But I think, I don't know. It's, it comes down, I think, to just the way you communicate with your kids. And because mm-hmm. I had crossed wires with my mom and my dad, because my dad was very reserved, even more than my mom. He's, he was, he didn't know how to be a parent and he tried very hard to be a parent. And mm-hmm. see, I went on a tangent. I do that all the time. I'm sorry. But no, it's I actually do too. Part of this- I, so I actually thought it was all a part of it because I'm a tangent person too. So oh, it's perfect. Perfect. Yay. See, <laughs> this is meant to happen. It's perfect. <laughs> so it's actually kind of a crucial part too that kind of led to, I guess, well, all of it led to who I am now, but this was a big turning point for me. Um, my my dad at the time was actually talking to, I guess, my child advocate behind our backs. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know it. So at the time, my mom had actually moved to Illinois, which is where my family lives now, uh, my grandparents. And she came to, to live with my grandparents and uh, to help take care of my grandma at the time because my grandpa was getting up there in age and they could always use the help. And so I was only supposed to go back to Colorado, which is where I'm born, um, for a court case for two weeks. That was it. I was only supposed to be there for like spring break. And when I went, we basically were ambushed at this court hearing. And my mom was told that she was an unfit parent. And my dad took legal custody of me for three months. Oh my gosh. And so I didn't have a chance to, I didn't have anything with me more than two weeks of clothes. I didn't have a chance to tell my friends nothing. And he tried to take my phone away from me. He tried to take my computer away from me. So I didn't really have anyone to talk to because he didn't think the people I was talking to were the people I needed to be talking to. Um, and he worked all day. And then his girlfriend too, they worked constantly. So I was at home alone, home alone and I had nowhere to go oh except my. school and the house. So I found ways around it, but he tried to be a parent. He tried to be a father figure and mm-hmm. it, it was awful. It really broke our relationship. Whatever relationship we had before was gone. It was right. awful. And I think that's when I finally kind of found a voice again mm-hmm. and finally started talking and speaking up um, because, you know, at the time, you kind of just look for friendship where you can. I, and I talked in a lot of chat rooms. Believe it or not, one of my friends was like this 25-year-old Indian kid who was going to school to be a doctor in India. <laughs> so I would talk to him every day in this chat room and I'm like 16, 17. I remember this chat rooms. <laughs> no, I remember chat rooms. Right? <laughs> so he found out and he was so upset. He was like, you shouldn't be talking to older guys. I you don't need a boyfriend, blah, blah. And at the time I actually, because we were only in Illinois for like a month or so, I had finally made some friends. I started school mm-hmm. <laughs> for like a couple weeks and then I moved out there for three months. So I ended up going to three different high schools my freshman year because I had transitioned towards the beginning of school. I was at one school before um, and was getting ready. I think I've made it to a couple weeks through school at one of the schools in Colorado. Ended up moving into Illinois, went for another couple weeks to a month, and then was sent 
back to Colorado with my dad, went to a different high school, moved back to Illinois, and then went back to the school that I was supposed to be at. It was a rough year. But, oh, man. But I, I don't know. I think at that point, it just kind of, it gave me the knowledge to know that I could kind of start figuring out how to speak up for myself. And so well, you kind of had a... So you... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so you started therapy right after it happened, correct? Mm-hmm. When yeah, you were I was, younger? I was in eighth grade. And you were in eighth grade. When, when you were older and you were you were dating and you started to be, get into intimate relationships, were you pretty well healed? No. From your therapy? Okay. <laughs> no. Um, I found out I had anger issues. I have realized my issues with intimacy that Mm -hmm. they made it abundantly clear it wasn't clear before until I actually committed to somebody yeah um I have I think that's very I have a lot of people reaching out to me about intimacy um and talking about intimacy it is very difficult and oddly enough I didn't the being physical with someone wasn't necessarily what got me it was the lack of intimacy because I felt a need to connect with someone. I couldn't just be casual. That's, that wasn't me. I couldn't do it. I wanted someone to care about me. I wanted someone to, I wanted to feel connected and it just, you know, it doesn't happen that way when you're like, Oh yeah, it's just a fling. So with my husband, because he's very much, he's 100% committed. I'd never really had that before. Yeah. And so it almost, to this day, it's still almost off-putting in a sense because I've never really had someone who's like, you're the best, you're amazing, you, you're you just so wonderful, and I'm here for you 100% all the time. And I, I don't know, it's so weird, but like, I just struggle with it. I think it's because I've never had someone with that much caring and love for me outside of family. Yeah. Like, it, I just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Kind of like felt, sense. just kind of feel a need to push away, but no, working on it. <laughs> yeah. But, lean into it, push away. I, no, I can, I, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. I think the biggest thing for me right now is I am not very open to change and I don't like not being in control. Mm-hmm. those are the biggest things I've come to find is that I do not like not being in control of a situation. I'm very uncomfortable with that. And it, so sometimes it's, it's difficult, especially even in general. Now I've kind of found a voice since we've been married. So like, it's kind of odd because I've made this transition from kind of a quieter, more, I guess, moldable person. Like I'm definitely someone who is receptive to someone else's feelings and I tend to work myself around others instead Mm -hmm. of being myself. But over the course of our marriage, I've shifted and I'm starting to focus on myself. And so I am starting to be like, I don't want that. Nope. Not that, not that either. Not that either. And I don't know that either of us really knows what to do with it. Yeah. It's different. It's new. And it's it's a really cool transition, but it, it makes for a very difficult relationship, I guess, is what it comes down to. It's 
Very interesting. Trying, trying to figure, like, support that. That's good sure. that you have your voice Thank and you. you're reclaiming your power, right? Reclaiming your your body, what you want, um, and and then adjusting that to because you you used to, like you said, be malleable, right? And like kind mm-hmm. of adjust. And now you're like, no, this is me, which is a good thing. But yeah, the whole relationship shifting to su- to support that and 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 grow together. Yeah, I'll say it's just, it's been an interesting journey only because I think he's just trying to figure it out as it comes. <laughs> I feel like, like I kind of just leave him guessing a lot of times and he's just like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I guess we'll, we'll work with it. Sure. Well, he's a lot more adventurous than I am too. So it's like, I, we come from two different ends and he'll say something and I'll be like, no. I'm not. Nope. <laughs> He's like, okay, then I guess we'll go a little more casual now. <laughs> oh, it becomes awkward. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to have in April when I talk about it, I'm going to do an intimacy series. I'm going to have my husband oh. on there so he can talk about what it's like from his side. And I'm so curious. <laughs> I love that. You know what? I love that just because truth be told, I have never told this entire story to my husband. Surely oh. because he asked me not to, um, because he was in the military. He was in the military for five years. Mm-hmm. He has, I, I strongly believe he has a lot of issues that he hasn't really dealt with yet. Um, and I think the idea of hearing a story about where I was hurt by somebody. I, I don't, <laughs> I think it would just make him very angry. And I think he knew that too. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, I, you don't need to tell me. I don't really want to know just because I, I don't want to be mad over the situation. And you know, no, it's I fair. Under- yeah. My husband, um, He's only he's heard bits and pieces. Um, he hasn't listened listened to my episode two yet. He's scared mm. to. He told me specifically that he's very very nervous to listen to it. You know, I told my husband I was doing this today, and he was like, "Oh, I was like, I'm kind of getting a feeling that you're uncomfortable with this." And he was like, "Not really." I was like, "I can't tell if you're lying or not <laughs> for my sake." But I, I would not be surprised if he was hesitant as well. I, I just, I don't think people know how to react when it's that kind of a situation. Yeah. Like, I don't know a lot about my husband's stuff either. Um, Just because he, I don't think he struggles to talk about it. He represses. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me you... only because... People who repress, I feel like, tend to have issues, which is why I'm very open. I've stopped (gasps) repressing. Yes. So that's like the whole thing about releasing your story, right? um, I kept it in for so long and I saw the ways it ate me away for years and years and years. And then releasing it so it's not shameful it's not taboo it's not my fault it's it it's it's releasing all of that it's not like oh dude I'm totally chill now but it helps take all of that pressure that heavy weight you've been carrying around for so long and just like release that out exactly 100% agree with you I think 
it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, you know, for a long time, I did feel like it was my fault and that I wouldn't be able to recover and that no one would be able to love me beyond that situation because I was, I guess, dirty is the mm-hmm. right word. But, and, you know, actually come to find out after the whole entire situation happened that um he, my uh, my mom's ex-husband was molested as a child wow. didn't know that until after the fact and i think i think that in itself taught me something that he was already bipolar as well so it was kind of like the stars aligned in the worst way yeah. <laughs> and he actually because he was bipolar and and did a lot of ups and downs and stuff like that. Um, when he hit an extreme high, he would go off of his meds. And so it just so happened he was in a really good high. And, you know, and uh, he went off his meds. And so I think he thought he was okay. And I think he hit an odd spot. And then with the repression of what had happened to him, and actually one of his brothers as well, it was both of them, um, it just it just kind of aligned itself in a negative way and I think he ended up reacting in a way that I honestly don't think he really meant to I think it just I think it kind of just happened but I think when we allow those situations to just fester yeah they manifest themselves in horrible ways yes they really do and I think at the end of the day it just manifested itself in a, a really bad way and I almost, looking back on it, I almost feel bad because it almost seemed like a lot of it not necessarily wasn't his fault, but he's he's still a human being, you know? He still came down, it comes down to the fact that he just, he couldn't handle what was happening and, and his past, his situations, and I guarantee you he had PTSD because he was—he actually fought in a couple wars too because he was in the military. Um, it just, it came back on him. And it's not that I don't, I don't want to say I forgive him. That's probably a very bold word. I think I did at one point and I just, I think that's a strong way to put it. But I think I more have empathy for his situation than I ever did before, especially now. Actually, taking Kathy's course has really opened my eyes to the fact that I'm still healing and I'm still working through a lot of things. And that's why I have the depression I have. That's why my anxiety has heightened since I was a kid. You know, that's why I have intimacy issues and but at, at the end of the day, we are, we are all humans and we all make stupid mistakes sometimes. Not to say that his is, you know, covered by that one thing. But I think he shouldn't have to suffer for the rest of his life for a bad decision. You are a, an amazingly beautiful soul. And I love how you put that because I always struggled with the whole forgiveness thing. I don't like how it's constantly like, no, it's your job to forgive. You have to forgive, 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 forgive. I like how you put that. Um, I don't know. I don't forgive him, but I have empathy for 
what he had been through and what brought him to that point to be that type of person. I can, I get that. I can get that without having to be forced to forgive somebody in order to be a good person. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like sometimes that's kind of out there. That absolutely makes sense to me. That's the perfect way to put it. Uh, I just, I don't know. I can think about his life now and how much more difficult it is and how hard it is on his family because he's ostracized now. He has three other brothers and he, two of them don't even talk to him. And one of his, one of his brothers actually took him in after he was uh, released from jail and allowed him to stay there. But it meant that their grandkids couldn't come over, you know, they couldn't be visited by certain people. Um, And it made their lives harder. And, I think they resent him for it. So he's he's ostracized by one bad decision. And again, not that I forgive him for that situation because I think he realized exactly what happened and what he did right after the situation happened. I think in that moment, he didn't understand either. I really don't. And I just, I can only imagine the difficulty with that situation from their perspective. And I think about that constantly and I don't think people understand <laughs> because when I try to explain it, I get very odd looks that I'm not super angry about it. But I think when people talk about anger during situations, they can be angry, but they can also process through that anger and be okay with it. And know, hey, you know what? I'm not fully okay with the situation. I haven't recovered entirely, but I don't have to let it control me. Again, it goes back to the kind of like the chaos. It does not have to control me. I am in control of that situation. It is my story. Yeah. You're awesome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I was just like, you, um, you were so brave to share your story and how you explained everything and how you laid everything out it was just very eloquent. It it was very easy to understand, even though it's not an easy to understand situation. Um, if that if that makes sense, like it's 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 hard to understand um, how you would feel about certain things, or even have empathy for this person, or any of the other number of things that you talked about. But the way you laid it out, it and I love that. It it it's like oh okay yeah all right that makes sense (laughs) thank you I am very glad to hear that because I feel like I just rambled for an hour and some change (laughs) no no it was wonderful it was beautiful I appreciate you so incredibly much and I uh, there's so many things uh, like when you hit on um your boyfriend's response where he was like I don't know how to respond to that uh I totally had that type of experience and the the poor Mm -hmm. teenage boy that literally didn't know how to respond to it but I was like it was totally the wrong response um (laughs) and also um touching on your mom's reaction and how she she did uh because my mom had a similar response where she and I was I was very resentful with um me too you know her feeling sad when I was like but what did I go through uh but the way you put it also it it really helped me understand like I do know it would be very painful as a mom um but yes. at that moment, especially when you're carrying that burden, you're like, hey, I finally need someone to hold me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I think it's really important for parents and families. You had mentioned how the parents were having a good time and that is a situation where there was older boys in the house with the younger girls. Um, that parents are just uh, aware of that. I think that's an important message because you may have your child, your son in that particular, you know, and maybe that was fine, but how about his friends that he's bringing? Just making sure that we're keeping all the children in our house safe, whether they're ours or not. Exactly. Um, I thought that that was amazing as well. And <laughs> I want you, I want to, I, I thought everything was amazing. Um, Thank you. You taught me a lot. You taught me a lot. I'm going to um, also, I'll put like Nikki Lynette. I'm going to look her up and, and look at what she has. I want you to tell me what you're doing because you mentioned the blog. I want you to say what your blog is, what you're doing, what your mission is like, what, tell me all about that. Okay. I'd be happy to. Um, this has kind of been in the works for a while now. I bought my domain name like three years ago and I just never really did anything with it. Um, last year I even bought a course on how to do a blog and it was one of the best courses you can get. Um, it's, oh gosh, what's her name? Her name's Ruth. Ruth. I can't remember her last name. But Ruth the her, blogger. Right. There you go. <laughs> Her course is called Elite Blogging Academy, okay. and it's a really high-demand blogging course, and it's really good. It really is. I'm actually just now delving into it, which is terrible, <laughs> but good. Um, no, it's good. It's good. Elite Blogging Academy. Uh, okay. It's awesome. Um, but my blog's name is Chaos and a Coffee Break, and yes. what it covers is being able to work with your chaos instead of against it, especially those with um, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Just because, like I said before, those those types of mental health issues can really take control of your life if you let them, but they don't have to. So basically, it's it's a look into my perspective of life with those situations because I struggle constantly. Um, I'm anxious, I would say nine-tenths of the time during a day. You could probably find me rubbing my fingernails together. It's one of my big ticks. Um, and a lot of times I can tell I'll hit really high, to, I'll hit really big highs and then really bad lows as well. But I can tell when they happen. Yeah. So it, it's more like a really raw perspective of somebody with anxiety and depression, but I also show things that I do to help manage them. So take for instance I love crafting I love turning weird odd things into something new Um, especially repurposing I'm kind of like a closeted eco-friendly person (laughs) Um, but like right now I'm in the in the works of taking these really old crates that were kind of like pieced together so they're really raw really raw Um, I'm covering them in felt and I'm actually going to use them as like a little storage organizer in my kids' room. Nice. Um, I just recently created a desk out of two like really old school step stools, like the ones that look like chairs, Um, Mm -hmm. two cardboard boxes and two pieces of leftover wood from this shelving unit we never put together. That sounds (laughs) awesome. Like I, I'm so not crafty. So I think it sounds awesome. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, I always feel like my crafts are kind of odd because I tend to try to do them on the cheap and I try to use what I have in the house, even though it's very mm -hmm. difficult for me because I'm a recovering shopaholic person. I'm in the works. But oh, yeah, I'm there. So like <laughs> the whole thing is is basically like it's a lifestyle blog too because I have a very hard time focusing on one topic and I decided that I don't want to narrow it down to one thing because I don't think that it needs to be that that's not right. what my depression does for me that's not what anxiety is for me it's a foggy brain it's my brain is literally a whirlwind of thoughts every day all day yes and so I love the idea of being able to take that and express it to others because I want others to know they're not alone I've felt so out of place and odd for most of my life just because I'm very eclectic I uh I have an, a quirky personality, I like to say, um, but I'm also this oddly driven but not person. I'm a very iffy-ish person. I like to call it ish. Like, I waver a lot, and, and <laughs> I've always felt like I wasn't really good enough because I never fit in one slot. I've never fit into one category of anything like in my whole life. I've just I've always been like a mishmash of things. And I think a lot of people that don't really feel like they have a set place, like I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up and I'm going to go to school for this and I've got this and this, or I'm really good at that. It, it makes, it leaves you feeling alone. Yes. And I want people to know that it's okay to have your rough patches and to feel alone sometimes, but you're not really alone. Like all of us people with our crazy and our chaos and our minds, we don't have to take it all away and try to become Zen people because that's not really what works for people like that. We can keep the chaos, but we can, like I said before, we can be friends. We don't have to make it our enemy. Yes, be friends with the chaos. I love that. I love that <laughs> because it's true when you're trying, I'm that person. I was always very, very... I admired people that I want to be an Olympic swimmer and they knew it when they were a kid and they achieved it when they were an adult. And that was never me. Never. Um, I yeah. like that. You're like, this is just who I am. And, and I'm just, I'm going to blog about what I want to blog about. I'm going to talk, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people. I, I think it has so far and I really hope it has. I've gotten really good feedback so far. I've only have like three posts and they're all about like personal stuff but it, so far it seems to resonate with people so I'm very very glad that what I have to say actually kind of hits home with some people mm -hmm. because that's my mission even if it, it touches only a couple people that's good enough for me for me I've always wanted to make a change in the world and I think you can start by making changes in people's worlds you know it doesn't have yeah. to be on a ginormous scale. You make one person's life better, you're already doing better <laughs> than what you were before. And what anyone else is doing that isn't actually starting and going and doing, you know? Yes. I <laughs> absolutely agree with you. That's beautifully put. Thank you. That is so awesome. Okay, so chaosandacoffeebreak.com. Mm -hmm. So I'll make sure I have that all spelt out right, and I'll put it so everybody and anybody who wants to to go and read your blog, um, that they have the link and they know where to go. 
Thank and you. That's awesome. It's not beautiful yet. It's a little rough and in, in progress, but that tends to be me. That's Lots of best. imperfection. And that's kind of what I highlight. So it works out well. <laughs> that makes it beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I just, you know, I kind of get tired of seeing the perfect Pinterest pictures and Insta pictures and people talking about let's make your life better by basically negating one entire part of yourself. It drives yes. me nuts. I just, I, I appreciate people that can do it. It's just not me. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that are the same way. So for me, mm -hmm. the imperfections are what I want to highlight. So I hope that that really does resonate with a lot of people. Ah, I love it. The imperfections <laughs> are what you want to highlight. I love that. It will. It absolutely will. Jordan, I think that you are so amazing. I'm absolutely blessed in every way to have you been the very first person that I interviewed on this episode. You are just, it was just so amazing. I learned a lot. I loved connecting with you and I would love to have you on again as we explore other topics. I would love that. You can't see it, but I'm beaming from ear to ear. I absolutely love this too. I love talking to you. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I could hear it. I could hear that. Oh, beautiful thank smile. you. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you. And um, I will let you let you go in, into the world and um, go back to your life. And oh, I thank just, you. <laughs> I just appreciate you so very much. Oh my gosh, I appreciate you too. Thank you very much for for giving people space to talk about things like this, because I do feel like it's still taboo. Yeah. And it shouldn't be anymore. It really shouldn't. It's, it, you know, it just shouldn't be a thing anymore. And I appreciate the fact that you allow people to, to get rid of that stigma. That's what it's about to just yeah. cut through all the cloudy BS of it. It is exactly what you were talking about when we were talking about our children and their children being able to talk about their body parts and talk about this openly. Mm -hmm. If there's not this shame and stigma, then they're going to walk up to you and they're going to say, hey, this happened to me. That that sucked. Yep. What the heck? And then we can respond. We can exactly. respond as parents in a way that's not devastating, that's not going to to make it seem like this oh, a horrible thing that, that now is going to stick with the child. You know, we can just we can just talk about it and 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 take action as well. Ex take, yes. Exactly. 100% with you right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs>